Father, we worship you. We magnify your holy name. We thank you, Lord, for your precious Son, who is our sacrifice, our substitute. We thank you, Father, for the presence of the Holy Spirit in this place. Hallelujah. Bless you, Father. Hallelujah. Father, this is our year of jubilee. We expect manifestations of the Holy Ghost in power. We believe for financial miracles and miracles of the healing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to start this morning in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 is the part of the, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which starts in Matthew chapter 5. It uh, covers the Beatitudes. Jesus proclaiming that we are the salt and light of the world. It covers giving, giving to the poor. And it covers God's care and provision for us. But then when it comes over to Matthew chapter 7, he talks about judging. And he talks about God's willingness to meet all of our needs. So in chapter 7 of Matthew, verse 24, he said, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Now, folks, of all the things that Jesus talked about and included in the Sermon on the Mount, and if you're not aware of this, let me just quickly make this statement, that in every theological circle known to man, everybody considers the Sermon on the Mount to be Jesus' greatest teaching. And of all the things that he talked about, and of all the things that he included in this Sermon on the Mount, the last few verses of the chapter tell us what made the greatest impact on the people that were hearing Jesus. It came to pass when he had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine or his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Notice verse 29, he taught them as one having authority. Notice the, one, the word one is italicized, which means the translators added it. There was no one in the original Greek when the translators produced the King James translation. He taught them as one having authority and not as described. The word as 
means how something is done. The word having means to hold. So this literally is saying he taught them how to hold authority and not as the scribes. Genesis one twenty six tells us God's original plan for mankind. Let us make man in our own image after our own likeness and let them have dominion over the works of our hand. So of the things that are recorded about the Sermon on the Mount, the thing that made the greatest impression upon the people was the, the teaching that Jesus gave and made for them and the teaching of the doctrine that they were amazed at was that he taught them how to hold authority or how to exercise authority. Well, how do we exercise authority? Joshua chapter one, verse eight was God's instruction to Joshua and the children of Israel and for us too. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous and then thou shalt have good success. Let me remind you of Psalm 8. Verse two, it says, out of the mouths of babes and suffering hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. Folks, notice what that's saying. That's saying our strength is in our mouth. Our strength is captured by the things that we speak. Well, that, that lines up with Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. The only way to keep something from departing out of your mouth is to keep saying it. One of the meanings of the word meditate is to mutter, M-U-T-T-E-R, which means to say to yourself over and over again. So we can see that this is lining up with the rest of scripture. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies. The victory over your enemy is in your mouth. The victory over all the enemies of God is in the words that we speak, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avengers. When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Now folks, this isn't David talking. Paul identifies that this is what the angels said at creation. What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. This word angels is the word Elohim, which means God. Thou hast made him a little lower than, him, than yourself, and is crowned him with glory and honor. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hand. Thou hast put all things under his feet. Thou madest him to have dominion over the works of thy hand. Thou hast put all things under his feet.
February 23rd of this year, I had a stroke. Spent three weeks in the hospital. And when I was released from the hospital, I began ministry. And there's all kinds of rehab work that they have for you to do. And a week ago, well, it'll be two weeks ago, coming this Tuesday, I was at a rehab appointment And somebody walked in front of me, and well, I say walked, really they stumbled. And I had just come from a previous rehab appointment where they showed me how the stroke took place and what all it did. Apparently there were three blood clots that hit my brain at the same time. One of them was in the cerebellum area, which determines whether you can walk or not. The other was on the right side of my brain, which determines your speech, and the third one was in the left side that determines whether or not you'll be able to, to remember, it's, it uh, is connected to your memory and so forth. Any of these, if they had, well, attached itself to the brain, The um, rehab specialist told me how serious it was and said that they were pretty much amazed that I can walk and think and remember and speak. So in... So as this person stumbled across my path, the Lord spoke to me I'm making this sound different than it is because I didn't ask God a question. I don't deal with the whys or the how concerning adversity or 
afflictions or whatever. And I see a lot of people over the years that have gotten bogged down in questions about how, how come this happened or why did this happen or whatever. And I've found just in my own experience that when you're in the middle of a fight to take any part of your energy or your effectiveness and get bogged down in whys or how, it's been my experience that I didn't have the information to get the answers until after the battle was over so I don't want you to think that I'm talking to God about why did this happened to me or whatever. Folks, the devil has a right to attack us. And we have a right to overcome him. And without thinking about the situation or the stroke or the causes or the results or anything like that, the Lord said these words. He said, I have a hedge of protection around you. Now, the only place that hedge of protection is spoken of or, or used is in the book of Job, which is a, its own handful of trouble. Job is a difficult book for us because we don't know when Job lived. Job is not included in any of the geological lists. He's not a descendant of Abraham. Judging by some of the things that are included in the book of Job, it's certainly one of the earliest occasions. But we don't know, since we don't know when Job lived, we don't know what covenant he's operating under. But in verse 8, Job chapter 1, verse 8, the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he has, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he has is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth your hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Now you remember the things that happened to Job. Calamity struck him on every hand, from every angle. Now 
Now, there's some interesting things that I think we might need to point out before we go any further. In Job chapter 1, verse 12, the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only upon himself put not forth your hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. Satan didn't know he had power over Job. Now that gives us a little bit of a hint as to when these things happened. It had to have been after Adam and Eve fell in the garden. And as a result of the things that happened to Job, he answers in verse 21, and he said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. One of the most well-known statements in the Bible is this one that's not even true. God's not the one taking anything away. The devil is the destroyer. Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 10, the thief cometh not but for to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and might have it more abundantly. But when the Lord told me that, then I did have some questions. I said, when was that hedge of protection put up? And the Lord reminded me of all the days that I would go walking in the morning. I'd start off with some confessions, saying some things that I believed and believed for. And then I just spent the rest of my time, several hours, just thanking God for his word. Well, if Psalm 8 that we just read a few minutes ago, out of the babes, the mouths of babes and sucklings, thou hast ordained strength because of your enemies, well, then that hedge of protection is a result of praise and thanksgiving. Second Chronicles chapter 20 tells about Jehoshaphat and the children of Israel being surrounded by five enemy armies. 
And Jehoshaphat set himself to fast and to seek God. Verse five, and Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven and rulest thou not over the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thy hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand thee? Art thou not our God who did drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel and gave it to thy seed, the seed of Abraham, thy friend forever? And they dwelt therein and have built thee a sanctuary where therein for thy name, saying, if when evil comes upon us as the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou wilt hear and help. And now behold the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and destroyed them not. Behold, I say, how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. Verse 14, it says, The Spirit of God came upon Jehaziel. And he said, Hearken ye, all Judah, Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou, King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Zid, and you shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand, stand you still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not nor be dismayed, for tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korites stood up to praise the Lord God of, of Israel with a loud voice on high. And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall you be established. Believe his prophet, so shall you prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord that should praise the beauty of his holiness as they went out before the army and said, Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were spitten. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, utterly to slay and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Mount Seir, everyone helped to destroy another. And it tells us that they came upon the, the enemy and they were all dead and they stripped off more than they could carry away and they were three days in gathering of the spoil. It was so much. In this situation, God provides a hedge of protection for them through their praise. When they began to sing and to praise, the Lord said ambushment.
as we said in Joshua 1.8, God gives his message, his principles, the how to be victorious in life. And that is through a relationship with his word. This book of the law, that was the only word of God they had at the time. This book of the Lord shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt observe to do according to all that's written therein. Meditating in the word is the means to activate God's word on your own behalf. In Proverbs chapter four, we have a little expanded instruction on this relationship with the word of God. My son, attend to my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. For they are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. It's amazing to me how much of the, of the church, the modern day church, doesn't know the importance, has never been taught the truth of fellowshipping with God through his word, establishing a relationship, a right relationship with God through, the, through speaking or confessing the word of God. When Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount and the doctrine that everybody was amazed was the doctrine of how to exercise authority. Your relationship to God's word, the importance you place upon his word is gonna be the determining factor on whether you win or lose the battles that Satan brings against you. John chapter 15, in verse 7. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. He's talking about a relationship with the word where he says abide in me. He can't be talking about just staying saved. He's telling us what an abiding relationship looks like. It's one that's built on his word. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you of my Father that's in heaven. He goes on to say, herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. Now the fruit he's talking about 
is what he's just described. You shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. So abiding in him and his word abiding in you could only come through the way that Proverbs 4 identifies. My son, attend to my words. He's talking about putting the word first in your life. Incline your ear unto my sayings. We're gonna have to listen first and foremost to what the word says. Let them not depart from thine eyes. See yourself with the answer. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. For they are life unto those that find them in health to all their flesh. Second Kings chapter six, it tells us about Elisha. Chapter five refers to Naaman the Syrian who is healed of his leprosy by following the word of God through the prophet. The beginning in second Kings chapter six and verse 24, it came to pass after this that Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all of his hosts and went up and besieged Samaria. And there was a great famine in Samaria. Behold, they besieged it until an ass's head was sold for fourscore pieces of silver and the fourth part of a cab of doves dug for five pieces of silver. And as the king of Israel was passing by upon the wall, there cried a woman unto him, saying, Help, my lord, O king. And he said, If the Lord did not help thee, when shall I help thee? Out of the barn floor or out of the wine press? And the king said unto her, What aileth thee? And she answered, This woman said unto me, Give me thy son, that we may eat him today, and we'll eat my son tomorrow. So he boiled my son and did eat him. And I said unto her on the next day, Give thy son, that we may eat him. And she has hid her son. And it came to pass when the king heard the words of the woman that he rent his clothes and passed by upon the wall. And the people looked, and behold, he had sackcloth within upon his flesh. Then he said, God, do so and more also unto me if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, shall stand on him this day. But Elisha sat in his house, and the elders sat before him, and the king sent a man from before him. But ere the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, See how this son of a murderer has been sent to take away my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold him fast at the door. It's not the sound of his master's feet behind him. And while he yet talked with them, behold, the messenger came down unto him, and he said, Behold, this evil is of the Lord. What should I wait for the Lord any longer? Then Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. Then a Lord on whom the hand of the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And he said, Elisha said to this advisor, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but shall not eat thereof. And there were four leprous men at the entering of the gate. 
And they said one to another, why sit we here until we die? If we say we'll enter into the city, then famine's in the city and we'll die there. And if we sit still here, we'll die here. Now therefore come and let us fall into the host of the Syrians. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. And they rose up in the twilight to go into the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come into the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots and noise of thunder, noise of horses, even to the noise of a great host. And they said one to another, Lo, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. You read the rest of the story, it tells about how the, the enemy had left their camp and had run away. But notice how the Bible tells us that it happened. God made them hear the noise of chariots. Folks, God is so much bigger than any problem we find ourselves in. Who would have come up with this means of deliverance? but it still took somebody doing something to bring about this great victory. Four lepers four men of little value had to take a step now the step that they take was aided by their circumstances and by their circumstances I mean they're going to die if something isn't done they're going to die anyway they're pretty much without hope. If they stay where they are, they're going to die. If they go back into the city, they're going to die. If they go to the Syrians, they might die. Or they might be kept alive. So they determine to go to the enemy, to the enemy's camp. And they find it deserted. They don't know anything about the noise of chariots. They weren't there when the enemy heard it.
in Luke chapter 5, verse 12, it says, It came to pass when he was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy, who, seeing Jesus, fell on his face and besought him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And he put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy departed from him. Notice in verse 12, it says, The man was full of leprosy. I assume that means that he's had leprosy for a good long time. And if that was the case, then the leprosy has ravaged his body. Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. He's pretty much without hope. Because he doesn't know what Jesus will do. He doesn't know what Jesus' will would be. But Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy departed from him. And he charged him to tell no man, but go and show himself to the priest and offer, offer for thy cleansing, according to Moses, for a testimony unto them. But so much the more went there a fame abroad of him, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. And it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Notice he was teaching and the power of the Lord was present to heal. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what Jesus was teaching, but it does give us enough insight into how the word works that we can know with some certainty at least. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So he's either teaching on healing or he's teaching on authority. The only thing that's going to produce faith to bring about their healing is knowing that they have authority over sickness and disease. Or as I said, Jesus might have been teaching, might have been teaching about healing itself. Now here's Jesus in what was probably his own house. And the power of the Lord was present to heal anybody and everybody that was there. But none of them were healed. Behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with palsy, and they sought means to bring him in and lay him before him. And when they could not find by what way they could bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his, with his couch into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this that speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts? Whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven, or to say, Rise up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power upon earth to forgive sin. He said unto the sick of the palsy, 
I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy couch and go into thine house. And immediately he rose up before them and took that whereupon he lay and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. In the few verses before this story of the, the paralytic that was healed, it said people came to him, to Jesus, multitudes, great multitudes came to hear and be healed of their infirmities. There seems to be an emphasis on hearing the word. They didn't just come to be healed, they came to hear and be healed. Now they get to this place in Capernaum. The house is full. One of the other gospel accounts says that it was so full that there was not room for any, any way to bring this man in. When the four men that were carrying this guy found they couldn't bring him in through the door, they went up on the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, now what's the difference in the ones who were there in the house and the power of the Lord was present to heal them? What's the difference between the four that carried this man on, his, on the cot or whatever couch refers to We don't have any way to know that Jesus knew what was going to happen before it happened. I think a lot of people have the idea that because Jesus was the Son of God, he always knew ahead of time what was going to take place. But unless the Bible specifically tells us, and there were a few times, a few situations where he did know beforehand but most of the time, Jesus is just responding to the things that are going on around him. So the healing power that's available Let me read this again in verse 17. And it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Who is the them that is talking about? Isn't it talking about the people that were in the house? It tells us that in the house were Pharisees and doctors of the law. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Well, the fella on the paralytic becomes part of them. 
when they let him down through the roof to where Jesus is. So if the Pharisees and the doctors of the law and whoever else is there and there must have been people that were, that were there that were sick because it wouldn't make sense for the power of the Lord to be present to heal them if them didn't include some sick people. So the difference is the four guys carrying the guy on the, on the, the couch or the bed through their actions demonstrated their faith. If only the doctors of the law and the Pharisees in verse 17 had exercised their faith, they could have been healed too. But when Jesus saw this man let down through the roof and saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Folks, who can forgive sins but God? They're right. But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, What reason ye in your heart? Which is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk? Now their opinion, their position on this, is very emphatic. They believe it's easier to, to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk. But for us, which is easier to say for us? We're just on the other side of this issue. We say, come to Jesus. Give your life to the Lord and he'll forgive your sin. It doesn't matter what your sin is. There's no sin too great for Jesus to Forgive. But Jesus is telling us the same power that forgives sin heals sickness and disease. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power upon earth to forgive sin. He said to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, arise and take up thy couch and go into thine house. And immediately he rose up before them and took up that whereon he lay and departed to his own house glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. A simple act of faith on the part of any of the Pharisees or the doctors of the law would have brought healing to their bodies in whatever way, whatever way that they had need of. But folks, if Jesus told the truth, then the same power that forgives sin heals sickness and disease. Now, how many of you have been born again? That means your sins have been forgiven, doesn't it? 
that same power that forgave your sin when you gave your heart to Jesus. That same power forgives sickness or heals sickness and disease in your body. Now, wouldn't that be something? Can you imagine the revival that would start or result from people, Christians, simply coming to the realization that the same power that's, that got me into the kingdom of God to begin with heals my sickness and disease On a big scale or a small scale, that would throw the world into a complete turnaround. Look with me to Philippians chapter four. Verse six, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Be careful for nothing, don't worry about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Skip with me over to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which you are all called in one body, and be ye thankful. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, See, teaching and admonishing up to one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Notice this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. No matter what your trial is, no matter what affliction surrounds you, the word of Christ dwelling in you richly in all wisdom. Now remember where we were earlier, John chapter 15, abide in me and my words abide in you. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Letting the word of Christ dwell in you, dwell in you richly in all wisdom, that would be abiding in his word, wouldn't it? teaching and admonishing one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs. 
Look with me now to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning you. Now, it doesn't say for everything give thanks. It says in, in everything give thanks. We don't want to thank God for something the devil's brought against us. But we certainly can give thanks for the knowledge of God that comes through adversity and the power of God that delivers us from it. Notice the emphasis Paul places on this. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. People want to know what God's will for their life is. Well, one thing that he said was to live a life of thanksgiving. Paul lived this. Acts chapter, what is it, chapter 16? When they were in Philippi, the chief city of Macedonia, they were thrown in jail because they cast the devil out of the little girl that was telling fortune. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God and the prisoners heard them. What are they praying about? Well, if it was me, I'd be praying about getting out of there. They must have prayed the same thing. And then they started singing praise unto God. The Bible says that suddenly there was a great earthquake. And this great earthquake opened everybody's prison doors and caused all the chains and the shackles to fall from their hands and their feet. That sounds like Second Chronicles. When they began to sing and to praise, the Lord said ambushments. In Job chapter 1 again, the devil is complaining about the hedge that's around Job and about his house 
and about all those that he has on every side. Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. If God made that hedge around Job, why would he not make that hedge around us? God's no respecter of persons. What he'll do for one, he'll do for all. Let's pray. Father, you made a hedge about Job, about his house, and about all that he had on every side. You blessed the work of his hands, and his substance was increased in the land. Father, if you did that for Job, we call for you to do that for us. We thank you. For your hedge of protection around us. We thank you for blessing the work of our hands and increasing our substance. We make our confession unto you, Father. This is our year of Jubilee. We expect manifestations of the Holy Ghost and power. We believe for financial miracles and miracles of healing in Jesus' name. Father, we abide in you and your word abides in us. So we ask what we will and expect it to be done. We ask for healing for every person in this church, this church family. We ask for financial miracles to take place. We expect manifestations of the Holy Ghost and power. We thank you, Father, for directing our steps, revealing your plan and purpose for us. We call for restoration.
We count it all joy, Father, in the midst of our trouble. We give you thanks because victory is ours. Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We've got some great things to expect, folks. Hallelujah. Lord, we worship you. Say it with me. The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Amen. God bless you, folks. Have a great week.